Blog Talk Radio. Uh, a little bit late for him, but he did agree to 
push this call back after we decided to push the show back to 9 p.m. And uh, I'm going to give Thomas Watts another opportunity to speak so I can see if I can hear him without an echo. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I hear can, you great. Yeah, I can cut that that front part. Uh, I had I have to run two versions of Skype, and both of them were echoing to each other. That's what the problem was, but I fixed it. Oh, it sounds great, man. We're good. And like I said, uh, I've given the uh, dial-in number to John Garcia in about one minute or so. We'll probably go ahead and uh, we'll be uh, hearing from him. And John and I and Thomas will talk about recruiting. Uh, and then Drew will join us probably around 930. Uh, like I said, a big C will probably call in about 10. And then we're hoping 1030 to have Tom Sanders, voice of the Bama softball team. Uh, who are trying to have a, a furious rally, but it didn't work out because uh, Runyon popped up to end the sixth. And so, uh, bottom of six, five nothing Michigan. Uh, not looking good for a winner's bracket game tomorrow. Uh, and also, uh, during this two hour show, we're going to let Thomas Watts, who is a former Alabama athletic tutor, talk to us about the uh, ins and outs of the excellent APR numbers that were released in Destin this week for uh, Alabama athletics, particularly football, but also uh, things look great for the uh, other sports. So we will let uh, Thomas talk to us about that sometime between now and 11 p.m. We are running late, but we did want our fans to have a shot to watch Alabama softball. We had no idea how the game would go and certainly worked uh, supporting them one way or the other. But, uh, not looking too good in Oklahoma City. Um, and, you know, there are other things to discuss tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what turned out to be a, oh, uh, well, a rather ugly end of the baseball season. I know we discussed it briefly last week. Uh, a little bit of basketball news, not much. We'll talk about that. Uh, football recruiting, of course, it never stops. Uh, recruiting, especially at the SEC level, I, I was told once by a wise old sage that recruiting is like shaving. Uh, if you miss a day or two, they're like a bum. So they work that all year, and they are working it. And there's actually a camp that begins Sunday um, on the campus at the University of Alabama, and we'll have a report on some of the potential participants in that camp from John Garcia when he joins us in just a minute or two. Uh, but for now, uh, we're on hold for that. Uh, Thomas, you got anything to add before we bring John on? Well, we're still waiting for him to call in, but I did kind of want to pick your brain a little bit, Carrie. Okay. Uh, and I realize that it is a it is a round of Red Elephant Club uh, meetings. And if I'm putting you if if you can't talk about it, just say so. But a lot of people are talking still about Braxton Miller to Alabama. Is that been officially put to bed? Jump on team the the Cornwell bandwagon, or are we still in holding pattern with Miller? Would you happen to know anything about that? I've heard some things. Uh, you know, <laughs> I tell you, it, it went from a rumor that Alabama got his transcripts last Friday, a uh, rumor that he was spotted, or at least the pictures of him were texted out by Trader Priest on Sunday of him in Tuscaloosa. And then all of a sudden today at 5 o'clock, the drop dead deadline to enroll, we're not hearing anything. So that tells me that either he is not going to be around for summer one, well, that prompted me to look up the deadline for summer two, which is uh, the drop-dead deadline is July 6th. But they'd like people to be signed up and enrolled by July 2nd if possible. So I don't know what the holdup is other than maybe he's not coming. That's 
something I was uh, going to try to glean from Drew. But, I mean, you know, I I did go to a red office meeting earlier in the week, and, and you do hear things at these meetings. I didn't get a lot of optimism uh, from those who would know without gotcha. naming names or dates. I, mean, I, did, I asked uh, if the person that I spoke to was at least cautiously optimistic, and he said, no, not really. Well, so I, I appreciate you. I know I kind of put you on the spot and kind of put you in a, in a weird position there, but I appreciate your candor on that. I plan on doing the same thing to Drew when he gets in. He heard uh, Kirby Smart tonight. So. But it looks like our uh, first guest is on hold. So without uh, further ado, please allow me to introduce uh, someone who is the answer. I'm tying this in with softball game, Thomas. <laughs> someone here who is the answer to a trivia question. What do uh, Ace ESPN softball announcer Beth Mullins and our next guest have in common. They are both master's degree holders from the Newhouse School of Broadcasting at Syracuse University, that being Beth Mullins, who is calling Bama's game right now and who I saw in the press box last Saturday, and our next guest of BamaMag.com and Scout.com, your friend and mine, John Garcia. John, how you doing tonight, sir? How you doing, man? It's a, it's a small world out there, isn't it? Yeah. I know Beth is a good bit older than you, but I just thought it was interesting that you two both held your masters from uh, Syracuse. And I didn't even know until tonight when I looked at her bio that she actually played college basketball. Uh, so that's interesting, yep. too. But anyway, um, John, there is a uh, camp that begins, uh, I believe, Sunday and runs for a couple of days in Tuscaloosa. And that camp, that football camp, uh, apparently is uh, getting to attract prospects of uh, renown from uh, several different classifications, uh, 16, 17, 18-type guys graduating years of high school. Uh, what do we know thus far as to who may or may not be participating this weekend? It's going to be a massive group, as it always is, Carry that first Alabama camp, that first you know, they call it high school one. So basically the first one where it's all positions, everybody come one, come all type of uh, situation always attracts a big group of kids. And uh, the timing is right. It's, it's pretty much the first couple of days where uh, colleges across the country begin camps. So for Alabama, why not kick it off with, with a big four-day one? Uh, although usually kids come to perform a day or two at a time. Uh, see where they stand and then sort of move on to the next one. But nonetheless, in terms of guys showing up on campus, whether it be for one day, two, three, or the entire four, it's pretty much a a who's who list of college football recruits. Uh, If you name a position, if you name um, a star ranking, you can formulate a guy or two that fits the bill on this list for Alabama's first camp, and it would only continue going forward until their next couple. Um, the biggest names are the guys, or to me, are the guys competing for offers and the guys who are near a commitment. Those are the sort of uh, two scenarios I look at the most uh, when breaking down these camps. And, of course, that can change at the camp itself because guys can come out of nowhere and pick up offers. You know how that game goes every single summer. But for what we know right now, the guys competing for offers and looking at quarterbacks, everyone knows Alabama wants to take one quarterback every single class. The guys competing for that offer, that committable offer, are all sort of in the mix in terms of a visit in the next week or two, that being four-star Woody Barrett, four-star Jawan Pass, four-star Xavier Gaines, all three of those guys, Florida and Georgia, 
prospects in terms of where they're from. Gaines will attempt to throw in Tuscaloosa for the camp. So he's sort of the, the newest name on the list amongst the quarterback group, which is something that is always a fluid and, and fluctuating situation. So he's a name that I've been uh, keeping on a little bit today as we compile our list over at BamaMag.com. On the defensive side of the ball, tons of names, tons of guys committed to other schools. David Marshall, defensive line commitment to Auburn University, visiting Alabama, will participate. Janarius Robertson, maybe the most intriguing recruit visiting Alabama because it's like his fourth visit to Tuscaloosa overall. He's committed to Florida State. He's from Florida and he's staying for three days. I think that's the most interesting part with him. There's been a lot of speculation as to where he stands, not only with Alabama, but, of course, with Florida State, the school he's been committed to for some time. Uh, Alabama certainly the school that has hosted him the most besides the Seminoles, and this one will obviously only enhance that with three days on campus. He actually put out a top ten today with Alabama and Florida State both in it, but he does maintain that he's committed to FSU, so we'll see how long that holds up. Um, a Georgia running back commitment visiting B.J. Emmons, a prospect who just picked up his scholarship offer. Running back is going to be a very critical position in recruiting the class of 2016. He's going to make his first visit to Tuscaloosa. That's another one to watch because this kid actually initiated the contact with Alabama. Months ago, he was trying to get in contact with the Crimson Tide despite being committed to Georgia. He said he likes that style of offense that Alabama runs and thought he'd be a good fit. So certainly not the most solid commitment to uh, UGA at this time. So a lot of kids committed to other schools, a lot of big-name kids, big-name type positions. The list goes on and on. Guys closing in on decisions like uh, Jaquan Lee, a big-time linebacker out of Virginia, the number two inside linebacker in the country on scout. He's going to not only visit, but he's also going to perform. So perhaps uh, needing to seal the deal on that committable offer for Alabama, and he's looking to prove that literally days before he makes a decision. So you can put two and two together there to see how he performs. It could reflect the decision he makes on June 3rd. So a lot of action expected at this camp, and that's just at the very top. We're not even getting into underclassmen. We're not even getting into guys who we're not talking about who can pick up offers with a standoff performance or two. So uh, it's really going to be a fast and furious couple of days, so we'll try to keep it all together if we possibly can. But either way, it's going to be very positive for Alabama. Right, and uh, when you were talking to, about the quarterbacks, I'm not sure, did you mention Woody Barrett? Yes, yes, Woody Barrett, yeah. Juwan Pass, Xavier Gaines, the three guys I'm keeping my eyes closest on right now with a, a, a secondary option in Texas, uh, another four-star named Jalen Hurts, all dual-threat guys. So it's a very clear direction that Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban are going to in terms of recruiting quarterbacks. I also wanted to ask you about a guy that apparently just recently got an offer from Alabama. Uh, the Alabama fans know his big brother, but they know him because his big brother was an outstanding basketball player the last four years. But tell us a little bit about 2017 offensive tackle Kendall Randolph from Bob Jones in Madison. He's the younger brother of Levi. Yeah, I mean, what an offensive tackle class, not only in Alabama for 2017, but right there in the Madison area. You've got Austin Troxel over at Madison Academy, and then you've got Kendall Randolph at Bob Jones. Both guys now, as of today, have the Alabama and Auburn offers to their names already at this early juncture before, obviously, either has camped at Alabama this coming summer. Both do plan to camp, and, of course, Randolph with extremely um, 
easy-to-see tied connections. Levi, his older brother, has been recruiting him even before uh, Kendall got the offer, which actually came through, um, I believe, uh, a little after 10 a.m. today once he was able to speak to Mel Tucker um, about his recruitment. So certainly Alabama fans should keep an eye on him. But interestingly enough, after speaking to Kendall today, he's actually really set on taking his time with the recruiting process. He claims no favorites despite his familiarity with Alabama and with Tuscaloosa, and and he's going to look to wait all the way until his senior season to make a decision, again, despite holding several SEC offers, including both in-state SEC offers. So you don't see every kid do that in the state of Alabama, but that's the beauty of it, and that's what I like to say. It's, It's on them how they want to go about it, and Kendall is going to be competing with Frogsville for not only the top offensive tackle spot in the state, in my opinion, but maybe the top overall spot in the state in that 2017 class. It's a great group, uh, and it's a great group in North Alabama. Not only do you have those two, you have Alaric Williams, who's a carry-on Johnson 2.0 type of guy, in my opinion. So North Alabama well-represented at top of 2017 rankings in Alabama, and as is Will Igman. Those guys all already four stars on scout.com. Will Igman of Buckhorn. All of those guys also both have Alabama and Auburn to their name already. So uh, it's going to be very intriguing in 2017 for, for the battle for number one, but also, of course, where these kids could end up with each of them having ties to, to both schools, both Auburn and Alabama. So Randolph is sort of the latest one to have both offers under his belt and become, I guess, the latest intriguing storyline. But Alabama fans should feel confident, at least until we hear uh, otherwise, with other schools on his list and who else comes in and visits and things like that. Interesting to note that Alabama could theoretically fill its offensive tackle needs in the 17th class without leaving the Madison city limits <laughs> because yeah, Madison yeah. Academy has Troxel and Bob Jones has Randolph. That's actually phenomenal. I know it's different schools, but they're both Madison, Alabama. And Troxel is an interesting story for me because I had a chance to scout him on a very cold night at Briarwood Christian during the playoffs this past year. And while I was roaming up and down the sidelines, attempting to stay warm, sipping my hot chocolate, a young man of about five years of age came up to me and said, Sir, are you a scout? And I said, Well, kind of. I work for scout.com. He said, well, I'll tell you what, that number 78 out there, that's my cousin, and you can put it down. He's going to Auburn. And I thought to myself, great, not Troxel to Auburn. Come on. <laughs> so then I get back and I talk to Drew Yarman, who, of course, uh, will be joining us shortly, and he is a uh, Mr. Football recruiting, particularly for North Alabama. And he said, no, 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 no. That kid grew up in an Alabama family. I mean, Bama's got a great shot. You know, I'm sure the kid is trying to tell you something. But he, it was just funny to me that that kid came up to me out of the blue and, and told me that. And it's just funny to me that Madison, Alabama, albeit two different schools, producing uh, Kendall Randolph and Austin Troxel. And I haven't had a chance to see Kendall play, but I did watch Austin fairly closely after it was pointed out to me what a great prospect he was. And uh, he was very impressive, the game I saw him. I realize he's not blocking SEC talent, but uh, wow. Uh, he's definitely got some feet. He's got the frame. He certainly needs to add weight. But uh, he's <laughs> He looks like an outstanding prospect to me. Uh, John, in regard to who I think you and I both agree are the top prospects in the state for the 16 class, I'm not going to give an order, but I think we both agree that, that uh, Marlon Davidson, uh, Ben Davis, and uh, Lindell Mack Wilson are the top three prospects in the state this year, uh, this coming year, the 16 grand year. It, it, it appears to me that none of those three guys, from what I hear, 
or and please correct me because I may have that info. But from, from what I understand, none of those three guys plan to be at the bonded Big Cat weekend in Auburn this weekend. Yeah, not only that, but I believe only one of them is going to end up at Alabama either. So it's kind of a – it's something that we'll probably read into too much. Yeah, this coming weekend. We'll read into it a little bit too much, but you have to understand, these guys are so familiar with each school. Ben Davis, of course, being a prospect, probably the longest out of the three, of course, in Alabama legacy. He's given Auburn his fair share of looks, has visited a handful of times. Wilson and Davidson have been to Auburn much more. Of course, they're out of the Montgomery area, a much easier commute uh, to Auburn. Uh, so those guys are extremely familiar, especially Davidson with his older brother, Kenneth Carter, actually on the support staff at Auburn. So it's not the same draw for, for those kids. They've, they've sort of been there, done that. It's not to say they won't get to Auburn at some point this summer. I'm sure all three of them will. But I don't think we should read into the fact that they're not going to the Big Cat weekend too much. It's more not even really a recruiting weekend. It's more of a family weekend, an off-topic type of weekend. It's, it's sort of the supplement to the camp and a supplement to the traditional recruiting visit. It's surely been successful for Auburn, and it promotes their, you know, their um, selling point of of Auburn being a family, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think we should read into too much that they're not going to attend. But Ben Davis will be uh, in Tuscaloosa once again. So, again, things pointing in the right direction for Alabama in that regard. And I think he could be ready to make a decision sooner than the other two. All three currently don't have a timetable. They're all thinking later rather than sooner. However, if one of those is going to defect from that plan, I think Ben Davis jumping on board and kind of ending things with Alabama, which is the expectation for most in tracking his recruitment really from day one, I think that is a possibility, and it could even happen this summer. It could even happen this weekend. I don't think it will, but it wouldn't surprise me is what I'm trying to say. So all three of those guys are certainly in the conversation for the number one player in Alabama, all three in conversation to go to the same school, and all three are very close um, through this recruiting process. Elite guys get to hang out more now than they ever have in the process, especially if they're from the same area or the same state. Obviously, these three are, so... There's so many events that they're all going to together, and that's part of it as well. They have the uh, Under Armour Five Star Challenge coming up, uh, I believe, in the, the middle of the week, uh, just this coming week, so uh, about a week from right now. So that's another event those guys have to travel out to. So a big reason for maybe not going to as many schools as others would imagine is because, you know, you've got to make some other travel plans and you're taking flights to other areas of the country. They have that, and they have the opening out in Oregon in July. So those are going to take away from the traditional visits that maybe some of the lesser prospects are able to go on. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but uh, it surely is interesting, at least at this juncture. I have to tell you a funny story, John, before we move on to the, the next line of questioning. It's been, you know, brought out many times the last three or four years on this show about how old I am, and I admit it. But when I was a young reporter, uh, I was still on the sidelines, John, at, at the Alabama North-South High School All-Star Game, which at that time featured seniors. No matter if they were committed or not, they still played in this game. And at that time, the game was played at Black Denny. Uh, several expansions ago. At this point, Black Denny probably held 58,000. Okay, well, I'm on the sidelines covering the game, and the uh, North team has two linebackers who are both signed to play at Alabama, but they're still just recent high school grads at this point, very recent. It's like June after they graduated in May. Their names were Cornelius Bennett, who I know you're familiar with, 
and not a horrible player. No, he's pretty good. And uh, a guy named Wayne Davis, uh, whose right. son is Ben Davis. So Wayne and Biscuit are having a conversation on the sidelines, and they're talking about, you know, what great things they plan to do at Alabama. It's just really cool to be there and kind of listen in on that. And, uh, you know, they were so excited to be playing in Bryant Denny, you know, for their first time. This was long before the high school games were played there uh, in the Super uh, 7 nowadays. But um, I remember that like it was yesterday, and, you know, I was able to follow and interview both guys on a regular basis while they played at Alabama. And you know you're old because now I haven't had a chance to see Ben play yet. I'm looking forward to that. I've got a Bordeaux game on the uh, Friday Night Lights column scheduled for this fall, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing Ben play live in person for the first time. But it's, uh, I had to share that with you before I ask the next question. The next question is uh, kind of on the same line of thought. The best player that I saw on my Friday night travels around Alabama last year was indeed Marlon Davidson. I mean, from my amateur judging point of view, he was the most dominant player that I saw. And I saw him play against a pretty good team in Prattville. Uh, at this point, he was playing for Carville. He's now back on the Greenville High School roster. But, John, there's even been a little bit of talk that in August he might turn tail and head back to Carver, which in most people's opinion, if it happens, would be beneficial to Alabama in his recruitment. Do you agree with that, and do you still think that's a possibility? I, I do think it helps Alabama. I don't think it necessarily hurts anyone else. Um, but Greenville being home, back where he's from and all that, I think, you know, it probably aids Auburn more than anyone else. doesn't necessarily hurt Alabama, but certainly aids, aids Auburn just because of familiarity, because of family and things like that. But if he's at Carver, higher, much more high-profile program, playing more marquee opponents. Uh, and then, of course, there's, there's Mac Wilson and Ben Davis, as we alluded to earlier. Those guys are all pretty close, all talking about playing together potentially at the next level, especially Davidson. And Wilson, those guys were extremely close. They actually lived together for a portion of last summer before Davidson um, started playing at Carver with Wilson. So that, that could be an interesting dynamic there. Uh, I think it would probably prolong the process of making a decision for both of those guys. Um, but again, as, as we said, if Davis sort of defects and, and ends up at Alabama or committing to Alabama before that point, it only helps the tie with both of those guys. And obviously if they're at the same school, when, they, when Davis sees one, he's going to see the other. So that only helps Alabama. Um, and obviously there's familiarity with, really with both programs at Carver, but, uh, you know, Sean Deion Hamilton is, is a big-time recruiter for Mac Wilson, a guy who's sort of taken him under his wing as a, sort of the next great linebacker at Carver. So that would spill into the Marlon Davidson recruitment as well. So it certainly would help Alabama to some degree if he does end up back at Carver. I'm hearing that it's sort of a 50-50 at this point. There's, you can make arguments for both sides, obviously, with his mother passing. We're talking about Marlon Davidson here. Um, there's a draw to go back home, to go back to Greenville, uh, and nobody will argue that if he ends up staying there. But, of course, you know, Carver was where he played as a junior. It's where he played with with Mac Wilson and obviously recruiting one, it would be a little uh, a little bit of a show every time those guys suited up as seniors this fall as, as arguably the number one and two players in the state if they were able to play on the same team once again. So there's certainly draws to either equation for Marlon Davidson. But um, I think 
if he does go to Carver, it certainly does help Alabama. But I think the tide is in good shape either way for perhaps all three guys. I think Davidson is sort of the wild card of the three. I think Wilson will be sort of a classic Alabama-Auburn battle. I think Davis is Bama-bound, barring a surprise, although he's been extremely calculated and extremely open with other programs and taking visits. Uh, I think they're all going to LSU here in a couple of days as well. Um, so they're, you know, they're going to be in it. Florida State's going to be in it. Georgia's going to be in it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Davidson is the one, despite his family situation, meaning you know the, the tragedy with his mother, his brother at Auburn. I think all of that could add up to sort of a, you know what? Let me let me get a fresh start. Let me get out of Alabama and end up at a Georgia or an LSU or a Florida State. I could see if one of the three was going to do it. Is what I'm saying. I think Davidson could be the guy to do it. Doesn't mean he will. Doesn't mean he won't do what both expect him to and pick Auburn or Alabama, but I think if one of the three does decide to really, you know, start over and start fresh, I think Davidson could be that guy. Um, but either way, those three will be intriguing to track and recruiting, and of course, on the field, which one is the best out of the three right now on scout? It goes Wilson, Davis, Davidson, but you can easily interchange uh, either of the three, just pretty much round robbing it all the way into a national signing day. And I think that's how it's going to play out. It sort of reminds me of a couple of years ago when you had Marlon Humphrey, you had Rashawn Evans, guys like that, um, Trey Williams down in St. Paul. There was sort of a, a top group there, a clear top group before a little bit of a drop-off. And those guys did end up round-robbing it all the way until the end. And Rashawn Evans shot up all the way to, to the number nine player in America and finished as number one in Alabama. I think you could see a similar situation with these three. doesn't mean I know which one's going to end up as number one, but you can make the case for all of them. All of them are versatile. All of them are ferocious defenders. All of them are impact-type players, and that's why they're all top 50 kids in America. So they're going to be quite the storyline in Alabama no matter where they go, no matter where they commit to early, late, because schools are not going to stop recruiting them until 10 meets paper. But, uh, of course, that's good news for Alabama with those guys being in-state guys. Guy uh, reminded me of something while he was talking, listeners. Uh, I don't get to drop a lot of relevant club tidbits on here, but I don't mind dropping this one because I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with it. I got a chance to hear Lane Kiffin speak this past Monday night. Those of you on my Twitter, that's at CC Bama, have seen the pics, and yes, Lane definitely still be having a picture made of me. But he was asked a random question from someone in the audience regarding who stood out to him on defense as far as uh, kind of. Uh, lesser named or underrated or people that were flying under the radar, I believe was phrased. And the two guys that he named, uh, and, and these are people that we were asking John about a year ago, now they're on the Alabama team. The two guys that he named to watch out for this fall, the only named two, were Rashawn Evans and Marlon Humphrey. I found that to be very, very interesting. So I, I like think that. he's be mad at me for sharing that. Uh, so uh, getting back to the current line of questioning, uh, John, my thoughts are if the three of them go to the same school, it would be Alabama. Here's why. I, agree. I think the odds are about 90% that Ben Davis goes to Alabama. I think the odds are about, now this is just me guessing off the top of my head, feel free to correct if you like. I feel the odds are about 75% that Mac Wilson goes to Alabama. And I feel the odds are 55% that Marlon Davidson goes to Alabama. And I say that because Marlon has expressed interest in playing with his two buddies. But my thing is this. If they all three go to the same school, 
I think Alabama fans will be the happy group. If they split up, I could certainly see Marlin going to Auburn. But I still think if Marlin goes to Auburn, that Mac and Ben will still end up in Tuscaloosa. And I know it's eight and a half months away, but that's how I see it right now, John. Yeah, you know, there's so many scenarios you can play out. You know, and like you said, if they all do end up at the same school, I think Alabama's the clear choice if they all are, you know, have to gun to their head, go to the same school. But of course, this is recruiting. This is uh, 17, 18 year old kids. So each school in state might get a commitment from both of these kids before it's all said and done, for all we know at this point. Um, but I do agree. If they do end up in the same program next year, Alabama would be that program. There's no disrespect to Auburn or anything like that. It's just Ben Davis is, is sort of the leverage pusher here, I think. Like you said, the percentages of him going anywhere else are extremely low and would be extremely surprising. And you mentioned that story about Wayne Davis. This is what you know people don't realize. Most dads like to play the, you know, I'm letting my son go through the process thing and just sort of let him make his decision. Wayne Davis, on the record now, makes no mistake about it. He wants Ben to go to Alabama. He's openly pushed forward. He's rocking Alabama gear at his hands while he's an assistant coach at Gordo. I mean, this is not one of these traditional, you know, I'm going to let my kid, you know, kind of do his thing. This is Wayne saying, yeah, you know, when he asked me, I want him to go to Alabama. He's going to go on the visits with him or all these other schools, but at the end of the day, when they're having those conversations in their living room, Wayne is pushing for Bama as much as the Bama coaches are. So that's an extremely important ally for the Crimson Tide, which only furthers the argument that it will be, Almost crazy to think he ends up anywhere else. Stranger things have happened, but, uh, again, in the state of Alabama, you know, less than 30 minutes away from Tuscaloosa with your dad being who he is and the familiarity Ben has with Tuscaloosa being uh, – he's probably been there 50 times and he's going back again. It would just be a big-time upset, uh, maybe the biggest upset in all of the country if Ben Davis does not end up in, at Alabama this fall. So that's certainly the leverage pusher between the three. So that's why I think it, it makes a ton of sense. If they all are going to end up at one school, it will be out there. Right, and I agree with that. And by the way, listeners, if you're listening live, Alabama did lose the softball game five to nothing. That's a final now. So Alabama will play Saturday afternoon in a loser's bracket game against the loser of the game that's about to start in a few minutes between UCLA and Oregon. So Alabama's uh, winner go home Saturday, uh, as is Auburn. So. The state of Alabama will have to struggle to remain in Oklahoma City past Saturday, but it can be done. Okay, back to this line of questions. Interesting that you mentioned uh, LSU with Marlon, John, because I was told by someone that knows the family, and, and I haven't spoken to Wayne in 30 years. He wouldn't know me from Adam. But someone that knows the family now told me that during the Shuler years, when Alabama was putting a less-than-stellar product on the field, and as Ben was growing up, Certainly, Wayne was carrying the Crimson Torch, as he should as a former player. But at that point, I'm told that young Ben was kind of taken with LSU. So uh, I don't particularly see Ben going to LSU now because Nick Saban has come in and turned the Alabama program around, and I'm sure that Wayne Davis is one of the happier guys about that because Nick Saban helped Wayne Davis give his son something to sell him. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, there, there was a scenario you know, five or six years ago from what I hear the LSU might have even been the leader for Ben, but Nick Saban has changed that. So, uh, yes. All right, next question. Uh, I mentioned to you, John, that, that Marlon Davidson was the best player I saw last year in our state of Alabama. But he wasn't the best player that I saw overall. 
That would have to be Derek Brown of Lanier High School, Sugar Hill, Georgia, rising senior, absolute athletic freak. The night I was there, you had like three or four sacks, a couple of PBUs, an interception, and even caught a pass for a first down on a fake punt, intercepted a pass wow. and ran it for a touchdown. There's not much a defensive end can do that the kid didn't do the night I was there. Uh, and then went in on, on a fourth down play and let a running back through the hole for a first down blocking the Terrence Cody type fullback role. He was an outstandingly wow. dominant guy. And uh, all along, the thought has been, at least publicly, that his leader was the school that's 45 minutes away, the University of Georgia. This week, Derek came out and revealed that that was not really the case anymore. Kind of uh, bring us up to date on Derek Brown. Yeah, uh, somewhat surprising there. Like you said, Cary, Georgia, the in-state school that they're really selling you know, these big D linemen in state that, you know, the 16 class, which is just loaded in Georgia along the defensive line. Um, they actually just got a commitment from a top 30 kid in the country, Julian Rochester, today, another D lineman out of Georgia. Uh, they're, they're selling all these kids on playing together. This dream team sort of, you know, recruiting class, like every school wants to sell, but that's Georgia's line with these guys, and it has been for a while. And, the assumed ringleader of that, should it go down, would have been Derek Brown. Georgia was a public leader. He's an in-state kid. He's been he's been the big dog in that state for for a couple of years now. You know, if you go back to, to the last two years, he might have been, you know, the number three overall prospect in Georgia after only Lorenzo Carter and Trent Thompson, guys that finished as five stars in the last two years respectively. Um, so this kid's been known for a long time, and he's been as good as you saw him for a very long time. So the, the expectation was always Georgia, but, you know, Bama, Auburn, Mississippi State will, will sort of stay in it as long as they could. Um, and he had gone public with that, you know, long ago. However, as you said, this week he's actually on the record off video speaking to Chad Simmons of Scott.com about how he wanted to sort of make this announcement, like, hey, Georgia is not my leader anymore. There is no clear leader, and the schools in the mix remain the same. So it's still Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, but now there's no leader. So certainly the floodgates reopening, although it wouldn't have slowed any of the other schools from recruiting him, but now certainly there's more of a chance, it seems like, that any of these other schools can jump in on him. And it's really intriguing for Alabama in particular because, you know, that same thing that Georgia is selling to their in-state kids, Alabama has been selling to, to the national group of defensive tackles. And this year's group may be the best I've scouted, uh, you know, in my years covering recruiting. you got the number one player in the country as a defensive tackle over Sean Gary. Derek Brown, who we're talking about now, is the number three overall prospect in the country. There's a kid named Rashard Lawrence who went to Hootie Jones, who goes to Hootie Jones' high school. He's going to be an Alabama LSU type of guy. He's a five-star on scout. Bama heavily in it with him. And then, of course, you know, Friday, a week ago or so, they land Kendall Jones, another five-star out of Texas. All defensive tackles, all ranked in the top 20 in the country overall, regardless of position, on scout. So the fact that Bama's been selling these kids on playing together from all points of, of the country, basically, or of the Southeast, certainly, it's just interesting that at the timing that now Brown is, quote-unquote, back on the market in terms of searching for a leader. So, I think he's one that you can expect in Tuscaloosa again in the next month, if not for this first camp, certainly for that 
O-line, D-line camp on June 13th, which is going to be just, <laughs> if you like beef, it's going to be the day for you. You've got the number one offensive tackle in the country, Greg Little coming to town, and mm-hmm. uh, Jones might return from Texas on that one. So it's going to be five-star after five-star going at it. Rashawn Gary, the number one player in the country, is going to be there for that one. I could see Brown altering his plans to visit on that weekend instead of uh, maybe another plane. Uh, and other guys are going to follow suit with that as well. So, again, this news all bodes well for Alabama. There's five elite defensive tackles in the class of 2016, and Alabama is in on four of them. It was sort of three, three and a possible with Derrick Brown being that possible, but now it's a clear four that Alabama is going to be in the top two or three, four by the time all these guys make their decisions, and they already have one on board early in Kendall Jones. So all of that bodes extremely well for Alabama. If they can just get two out of these four, meaning Kendall Jones, Rashawn Gary, Derek Brown, Rashad Lawrence, it would be arguably the best defensive tackle haul in the history of Alabama under Nick Saban. And that alone says all you need to know about the potential, uh, but it's certainly a priority, and obviously they're off to a good start with Jones. So the Brown news is certainly welcome with Alabama, and I expect them to be on campus in the next month as a result. You know, John, I, I'm sorry to always be so corny, but I can't help it. I, I grew up reading comic books, and now I'm going to movies about comic book heroes. Alabama <laughs> got the Hulk the other day committed. If they get some of these other defensive tackles you're, you're talking about, perhaps some nicknames need to be assigned to them, like Thor, Captain America, or Iron Man, and they just have the entire Avengers assembled in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, there, I said it. Okay. There you go. Well, we if, haven't if, if it happens, you started this. You started this. I started it if it happens. So I'll go ahead and start working on nicknames, uh, you know, who, like, uh, I, I probably call uh, Derek Brown probably Iron Man. Rashawn Gary, he can be full. Uh, yeah, well, we'll worry about that later on. Uh, but, John, we haven't gotten your take yet on Hulk. So, uh Tell us what you know about this young man as a player and how solid you feel his commitment is for this high school in Colleen, Texas, being roughly 45 minutes from Austin. Well, as a player, Hulk, you know, we, we throw out nicknames a lot. I mean, you're you're about to throw out nicknames, you know, Avengers to kids. We throw out nicknames a lot. It's fun. It happens. So, you know, covering him, I guess, loosely early on, you know, in the last year, I kind of saw the Hulk stuff and said, okay, no big deal. But when you actually look at him, and I'm going to get a much closer look out in Oregon uh, in July, he's 6'4", 360, with 10% body fat. You know, I'm I'm a former college football player, and I would I would jump out of my jeans if I had 10% body fat right now. It's way higher than that. This kid is 6'4", 360, with 10% body fat. I cannot emphasize those numbers enough. But then when you actually watch him on tape, his first step is as good as, anybody's in the country, despite being 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds heavier than all those other defensive tackles that we laid out earlier in terms of the five-star type guys in this class. But his first step is right there with those guys, but he's a lot bigger and he's a lot stronger. Again, 10% body fat. This means muscle is most of, of his body. He really does actually look like the Hulk, and he plays like him too now. Of course, there are things he has to work on, like pad level. He's a very tall guy, so his pad level is going to get his butt kicked a little bit at the next level if he doesn't work on that, and he knows he has to work on that. But get this, he's actually trying to lose weight. So even though the 360 is held about as well as possible, the plan is to actually get down to, you know, 320, 330, 
more like a traditional, you know, zero technique classic nose guard type and be that much better at his size. So scary is the best word to characterize who Kendall Jones is right now and who he could end up being in Tuscaloosa. Now, as far as his recruitment, obviously these schools are all going to continue to recruit him. Like, you better believe Texas is extremely frustrated with losing a kid in state to Alabama. LSU, where his family is from before Hurricane Katrina displaced them to Texas, of course, extremely frustrated with Alabama. But Texas in particular, he had visited Austin 13 times in his recruitment. He had visited Tuscaloosa exactly once, and it was on A-Day this last month, April 18th. And that was the only visit, and that was when he learned of his Alabama offer. So Texas had offered years ago. He had been there a baker's dozen amount of time. Um, they were the leaders. Everything was lining up for Texas. But then all of a sudden, here comes Alabama with an offer. You visited. You loved it. But the X factor with Bama making up so much ground and so little time was, of course, going back to the University of Texas and Bo Davis, who, of course, was the guy to give Kendall his first offer from the University of Texas. So it, it sort of went full circle with Alabama. Surely a little luck played into it with getting a guy like Bo Davis back on the coaching staff, but that relationship is, is the ultimate reason Kendall chose Alabama. Bo reminds him of his father. He said that. He's referenced that ever since committing to Alabama, and he pretty, pretty much flat out told me, and you can hear this on uh, Crimson Blue Tips, the podcast we do over at Bama Mag and Bama Sports Radio, he pretty much said it without saying it. You know, wherever Bo Davis goes, probably where I'm going to end up going. So I think that's good news for Alabama. Obviously, he just rejoined the staff, so it's pretty unlikely that he somehow both, you know, before signing day rolls around. Um, but Kendall is going to take some other visits. Texas and LSU will be the two schools I worried about the most. He's certainly going to do his due diligence with Charlie Strong. You know, he respects the man like every recruit does in Texas and really the Southeast. But Texas will be the number one competitor. It was the school that finished second to Alabama for his commitment. He did tell me that as well. So that's going to be the, the biggest story with, with Alabama. One, can you get him back on campus a couple more times to sort of, you know, begin this sort of recruiting hole you want to pull off among the big D linemen, too? Can Bo Davis continue to further that relationship and hold off Charlie Strong, coach versus coach? And three, um, where does LSU fit into this whole thing? So LSU making up ground would actually probably be good news for Alabama because it would mean Texas would have faded a little bit. So that could even clinch things for Alabama. But he is going to give all three his due diligence and possibly some other schools down the road as well. But as of right now, I would be surprised if he ended up anywhere else barring a Bo Davis departure. So that massive commitment in every way, shape, and form uh, for Alabama with Kendall Jones. Well, just as I give more thought to my Avengers thing, I am going to go ahead and say that uh, Iron Man will be uh, Derek Brown and uh, Captain America will be Marlon Davidson and uh, Thor will be Rashawn Gary. So if they get those four Avengers together, uh, Alabama will have had quite a haul. That's not likely to happen. still fun to talk about. I'll share this tidbit with you, John. It's not much of a tidbit, but uh, the big tidbit was what Chad said about George not being the leader anymore. But I will share, uh, because my sister-in-law uh, is friends with Derek's mom, because my uh, nephew was the long snapper on Derek's team last year, just graduated from that year. Uh, but, you know, Derek's parents 
both went to Mississippi State. Uh, that's why mm-hmm. I did it. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the wonderful job Dan Mullen has done for the Bulldogs has provided. Uh, one day they're probably going to win a big game. But anyway, uh, Georgia was basically a proximity thing. They've been on for you know, a long time because they have known about it for a long time. Uh, Auburn, you know, that's the fun school. That's where you go to have fun. Uh, so, you know, Auburn's taught his, taught his, uh, he's a fun-loving kid. Auburn's taught his out there. But Alabama's the place to get you ready for the pros. So each school in his final four, we're talking about Derek Brown from Trigger Hill, Georgia, again now, jumping around amongst the Avengers. Uh, but our man, Derek Brown, uh, he is looking hard at all four. Uh, as of three or four months ago, I think Alabama was probably third with him uh, and Auburn second. But I think the deck has been reshuffled a little bit now. Uh, and it's, I really don't think it'll end up in Mississippi State, but I think it's, it's a legitimate shot that Auburn, Alabama, and Georgia all could land their crown. Uh, we'll see what he decides. It's going to depend on you know, what he ultimately wants to look for in the school. But it's going to be fun to uh, continue following his recruitment, and I'm hoping to get over to one of his games. Um, yeah. Another of his games this fall. Uh, so there's that. Um, there is a prospect, David, is the first name, the last name I'm drawing blank, from Upson Lee High School, Thomaston, Georgia, currently committed to Auburn, and Alabama is uh, making somewhat of a run on this player, the defensive lineman as well. John, can you help me out with the last name? David Marshall. We mentioned him uh, Marshall. as one of the, the guys committed elsewhere visiting Alabama. Absolutely. Right. The reason I asked about him is he plays basically in my mom's backyard. Uh, she lives in Thompson, Georgia. And I had considered wanting, you know, to cover one of his games if it looked like that Alabama had a legitimate shot. I don't get the idea that his commitment to Auburn is the firmest in Auburn recruiting history. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember, Kerry, before he committed to Auburn, it was somewhat of a surprise because his public leader at the time was, of course, none other than Alabama. Uh, being one of his first big-time offers, uh, Alabama was. Funny story, uh, speaking of that area, Chad Simmons, who you know runs the Southeast on Scout.com and, and yours truly, we were traveling down to a big scout meeting in Tampa. Um, so I met him in Atlanta, and we drove down, and we decided, of course, that we were going to hit some schools along the way. This was two years ago. And we get to Upson Lee High School in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, Chad, are there really prospects out here? And we meet freshman at the time, David Marshall. And he's about the size he is right now. You know, 6'3", 230 pounds, great looking kid on the hook. And he says, you know, the offers I'm really looking for are the ones in the state next door. I'm really looking for Alabama, looking for Auburn. And, of course, we hear that from hundreds of prospects at camp and on official visits, unofficial visits, pretty much everywhere. Kids want that Alabama offer. But from a kid, you know, in the middle of Georgia wanting both of those offers and wanting to really evaluate both of those schools, I thought was intriguing. And clearly the kid had side early on. So always sort of threw that in the memory bank. And then obviously a couple of years later, he ends up picking up both offers, having them as his favorite before he commits to Auburn. But he's already visited Alabama once as an Auburn commitment and, and sort of loved it as much as, he ever has, and now here he is returning to Alabama shortly thereafter. And it should be mentioned that he is visiting Auburn as well. This is going to be a, you know, camp Sunday at Bama, Monday at Auburn, or vice versa type of situation for David Marshall. But the fact that he's still going back 
to Alabama for camp and to specifically perform, I think is extremely interesting for Prince uh, Tide fans and Auburn fans alike. I think uh, he's going to be one to keep an eye on because uh, Auburn's done a good job at identifying defensive line talent, securing early defensive line talent in this 2015 class. You know, the guy, the other guy they have committed is from Birmingham and Winona High School, Quinnen Williams, and he's one who Auburn took early as sort of a project, but he's since, you know, toned up his body a little bit, added good weight, and now looks like a, a top 10, top 15 guy in the state. So the Tide might have even missed uh, on that evaluation. They have since offered and had him on campus as well, but he's not planning to return for a camp. So for Alabama to get Marshall to do that, uh, I think it's a big deal when you compare it to a guy like Quinn Williams, who isn't at this time that we know are willing to do the same. So, you know, Alabama, Auburn always sort of go back and forth and recruiting, and each of them would like to flip a guy or two or ten from the other, uh, so certainly Marshall is one to keep an eye on if that scenario is to play out once again in 2016, and, uh, you know, who knows to be a guy that ends up committing to both as well, but uh, another strange story out of Georgia where a kid is, is not even, you know, trying to consider the Bulldogs, which has been one of the biggest recruiting conundrums I've seen in, in my brief time here in South. Had I known you and Chad were going to be in the Thomaston area, I would have been quite happy to direct you to nearby Barnesville, about a 15-minute drive, home of my favorite catfish place in the world, the country kitchen. Getting back to recruit, uh, I wanted to ask you about one more guy before we take our break, John. Uh, and it's a guy that seems to be very intriguing to Alabama fans and coaching staff. He seems to be very near the top of the recruiting board and is apparently going to be in town, as mentioned earlier, this weekend. I want to ask you first about him as a player, where you projecting, uh, what side of the ball, what have you and also where you project his recruiting will end up. And I'm talking specifically about Devin White. Devin White, man, this kid. I think his, as you framed that question really well, Kerry, I think the question about where he plays and where he ends up in recruiting is just as wide open. I, I truly do. He's another Louisiana kid, and we know that if there's a state in the South, not named Georgia, where you can sort of go in and, and get a, an elite kid, it's Louisiana. It's not Mississippi. It's not Alabama if you're an out-of-state school. It's, it's Louisiana. That's the school. Louisiana, Georgia, Florida. Those are the states you can go in and get. I truly get a, a big-time player. White is certainly that. Everyone saw the pictures of him riding shotgun with Nick Saban. I believe it was AJ uh, as some of the recruits you know, got to campus. Uh, it was actually the second time he had done that, so in terms of a priority and high on the board, I don't think it gets a whole lot higher uh, than that status, if you will. However, I think it's a three-team race here. I think LSU obviously is going to be in it, as is Alabama. But Ole Miss is sort of the wild part here for me. Of course, Ole Miss has done well in Louisiana itself. It's got the number one player in Louisiana committed right now. Of course, Shea Patterson, the quarterback at Calvary Baptist. Uh, I believe he's up to the number one quarterback in the country on scout. And he's been this guy who wanted to commit early and wanted to recruit for Ole Miss. And White has been one of his go-to guys in that process. So I think it wouldn't be crazy to say that Ole Miss might even be the front runner today for Devin White. But Alabama, LSU have each prioritized him as well. He's been to Tuscaloosa several times. And it could come down to this, and I'm going to be crazy for saying it, it could come down to which school is truly going to let him run the ball. A big kid, six foot one, 
230-plus pounds. I like him as a linebacker. I think most colleges like him as a linebacker. He's a fish. He's a physical, or excuse me, a physical vicious kid. I combine those words there. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, he sort of runs that way as well. But he's got better speed than you would think for a kid that size. Uh, he's from Louisiana, so certainly there's some Eddie Lacy comparisons coming out of that camp, and I think Alabama fans would be pretty okay with that. Um, so that's the thing for me. Does each school on his list, and the, the list is greater than three, but those three schools to me are the true contenders for his signature. Does one of the schools go all out saying, Devin, you can come here and run the ball 20 times a game? We all know there's a difference between saying that, meaning it, and actually letting him do that. Uh, that's something he would have to earn once he got to campus, et cetera, et cetera. But I think literally that could be the deciding factor between all of these three schools. They each have their advantages. We mentioned Eddie Lacy. We mentioned the priority, how priority has uh, put him near the top of the board for Alabama, the Nick Saban connection. He's visited Bama as much as any other school. LSU, obviously, the in-state school, always a big draw for Louisiana kids. And then Ole Miss with Shea Patterson and sort of the, the recruiting momentum they've had over the last couple of years. It's sort of been up and down, in my opinion. But overall, the perception of Ole Miss recruiting is as high as it's ever been in the last couple of years. So I think that weighs on him, plus the Shane Patterson thing. So there's a scenario where each school can get Devin White, but it, to me it could come down to which one allows him to run the ball. He says he doesn't have a preference right now. He's saying most schools are telling him he can do sort of whatever he wants, but I think at the end of the day each school wants him to play linebacker. But which school is willing to be a little more flexible there at the very end, be a little more patient with his development, to possibly enable him to run the football in Alabama could be in the best position to do that because, one, obviously there's talent all over the board with Alabama. They can be more patient than any school at any position at this time because of the depth and, and the amount of blue chips they have on their roster. But, two, they've done it in the past. Alabama running back to Mike Eddie Lacy, who's sort of the comparison there, has sat for a couple of years before blooming, before really taking off and becoming – you know, NFL Rookie of the Year, like Lacey was a couple of years ago. So there's pre- there's precedent there for Alabama. There's depth there for Alabama. So I think that gives them a little bit of an edge if he truly evaluates things to that point. Now, he's far from that point. He's going to take his time. So I think every visit Alabama can get him on right now to further emphasize the, the, the pitch of versatility, the pitch of playing both sides of the ball only helps at this time, but he's going to get on campus at Ole Miss and LSU just as much. So he's going to be one of these down-to-the-wire, three-clear schools. Nobody's going to have a definite leader all the way up until he signs. So Bama is clearly going to do everything they can to get him on that commitment list. Well, John, we have uh, held you for over 50 minutes. Um, Neither our schedule nor my bladder will allow us to hold you anymore, but we want to thank you for your time tonight. We want to keep you as a once-a-month guy on BAMS uh, once in June, and then, of course, uh, your annual July call from Oregon. We look forward to that as well. Uh, thank you so much for your time, John. Absolutely, Kerry. Always a pleasure. I appreciate your time as well. Have a good night. Uh, that's John Garcia, BamaMag.com, Scout.com, recruiting expert, and a true friend to BAMS Radio. Uh, we're going to take our one and only break of the night tonight, and then when we get back from break, we're going to bring on Drew Armand of 97.7 The Zone, our third member of the crew here. But for now, you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Back in a few
Carolina Staring up the road And pray to God I see headlights I made it down the coast In 17 hours Picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for rally I can see my baby tonight I pick a banjo now Oh, no country where the people getting me down Lost my money playing poker so I had to leave town But I ain't a turning back to living that old life no But he's a headed west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, Tennessee. I gotta, I gotta move on before the sun. I hear my baby calling my name and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free. We are back. It is two minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock in the Central Time Zone if you're listening live. And we hope you are. Uh, that was a great first hour, about 55 minutes worth of John Garcia bringing the lumber as he always does on Alabama football recruiting. And he was calling us on the Big Head Barbecue hotline, and you can do the same. That number is 714-510-3707. If you're still up, give us a holler. That's 714-510-3707. I'm Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. Back in the studio is Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And joining us now live is Rudy Armand of 97.7 ESPN The Zone in Huntsville. Uh, Drew, welcome to the show. What's going on, brother? He's having trouble hearing stuff. I, okay, I, well, I might have to call him and kind of chop Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. <laughs> uh, while we wait on Drew, let's go ahead and bring in a caller from the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Colin Big C. McGuire of Greenville, Alabama, our weekly caller. What's going on, Big C.? Not much. How y'all doing tonight, big man? Uh, you know, we're doing better than the softball team did. Uh, 
They went out there and lost five nothing to Michigan, and now they're in the losers bracket, and they got to play at one uh, thirty Saturday on TV against the loser of the uh, UCLA Oregon game. Had a little higher hopes than that. Uh, actually, Alabama and Auburn both lost today. So uh, yeah. <laughs> if the state's going to be in Oklahoma much past Saturday, uh, somebody's going to get something done. And in the eleven thirty game Saturday in the losers bracket is uh, Auburn and Tennessee. So that's a win-win for Alabama fans, but uh, not for the SEC. And uh, hopefully Tennessee can pull that off. But uh, Big C, the first hour, we had um, John Garcia from Scout.com. And I straight up asked him if he had heard anything at all about the possibility of Marlon Davidson ending up back at Carver Montgomery in August, which would help Alabama. And he said that his sources think that there's at least a 50% chance of that. I'll just ask you this because you're in Greenville if you've heard anything different. The only thing I know is that, no, I ain't heard anything different because there's a possibility he could go back to Carver, but other than that, I hadn't heard anything else. Well, that's that's that. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. felt like it was 50-50, and that's actually a little higher than I thought it might be. So uh, he's pretty good friends with uh, Mac Wilson that plays linebacker for Carver, and he's also a big Alabama prospect. Uh, the, the good thing about it, Big C, and this is something that John talked about, and I'll just tell you because I know Drew's listening. We're trying to get his sound worked out. But the, the best three players in Alabama for the coming recruiting class, the class of 2016, are Ben Davis, son from Gordo, uh, Mac Wilson, linebacker at Carver, and Marlon Davidson, defensive end, either at Greenville or Carver, we don't know yet. They're the best three players. But uh, the thing about that is they're also three good friends with each other, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, talk of the three of them playing together. So, uh, anywho, uh going to try to bring in, bring in Drew now if he can hear us. Yeah, guys, how you guys doing? What's up? All right. And I know Drew. I know What's going Drew. on, man? Uh, hey, I know you came from a real from me, and we, we'll talk a little about softball. we got Big C on right now, and I know he's got a weekly question for you. Yeah, absolutely. What's the deal on um, on um, Braxton Miller? Cause I did not know he had well, a child. Yeah, it's a, you know, some people thought the drop dead date was today. I've been told it's not. Uh there is a provision and a rule where he can still enroll. Uh, I was told this this afternoon that uh, the, you know discussions were still ongoing. Um, I don't think it's it's not over yet until Braxton Miller says something. It's not over yet. Some people have completely given up now that it looks as though Thursday is going to pass and nothing's going to happen. But until you hear something on Braxton Miller's end, you just kind of have to take it day by day. Uh, I do think Alabama still wants Braxton Miller, no doubt about it. Uh, they need Braxton Miller this season. Um, but uh, eventually, I was told today uh, that they were uh, not putting the full court press, that the ball was basically in his court, and they've told them that he, they want him and they want him here. But he's going to, they're not going to harass him about it. So we will see. Uh, obviously, I, again, I think they need Braxton severely uh, for this season. Now, the future, Blake Barnett, David Cornwell, very high on both of those young men, especially Barnett, uh, was told uh, this week by someone that spoke to a staff member that they think the talent level 1 through 85 is now back to 2011-2012, that they're stacking it like cordwood. And especially when they add this coming class, you know, Kerry just talked about Mac Wilson, Ben Davis, uh, trying to get Marlon Davidson. 
Uh, just got Hulk Jones. We'll get Jaquan Lee in another few days. But they're, they feel very good about the future. Uh, they, they think right now they lead for Rashawn Gary. So uh, they're going to be very, very talented. But just for the short term this season, they need Braxton. Stand by, Big C. I got another question just to piggyback on yours. Drew, would there be a scenario where uh, theoretically that Braxton Miller could enroll uh, first week of July for summer term number two? Yes, uh, the, that's basically some of the what I what I have been what I have, some of the rules and provisions I've been given. But I've been told it will not be that long. Um, he will be here uh, if if he decides to come within several days. He needs to get here and work with our guys and get used to everyone. Uh, now, technically, again, you're right, Kerry, he wouldn't have to be an official student until July, but the decision will be made in the short term. He needs to be here. Uh, by I had heard a few weeks, several weeks ago, that it might not be until June that something was decided, so they see ultimately how his, how his rehab continues to progress, which uh, the rumor of from Ohio State of him cashing in a million-dollar insurance policy is complete bogus garbage. Um, his, here's the whole deal about that makes no sense on the end of these Ohio State idiots, and I just want to say that because that's what they are. But here's the thing. If, uh, if he's so hell-bent on uh, in, in listening to Urban Meyer, and he ultimately may, but if, he, if he's so set, okay, and agrees to move to H-back or wide receiver like everybody's saying, there's two things wrong with it, and I want to hear Thomas's feedback on this too. A, he could have been running routes in the spring to get used to the position change, and B, when you're rehabbing a shoulder, why worry about a throwing program? Well, if if you want me to respond to that, th- those are pretty much unassailable. Picking up a position, okay, it's going to be difficult enough for him to learn Alabama's offense in a transfer. It would be nigh impossible for him to break all of his quarterback tendencies at this point. What's first first? It's a hundred days to Wisconsin in three months. Learn a whole new position. I mean, sure, you could make him. He could run a go route but his route tree would be garbage. And is there any kind of blocking set in that offense? Like how much is Braxton Miller really blocked? So all of that, or even I just, it, it, there's so many little things about both of the positions you listed, Drew, that even guys like looking at career guys, looking look at the, the running backs that Alabama's brought in. Derrick Henry broke a 60-year-old rushing record, and he's just now Get it. He's just now going to be starting, one, because Yeldon was really good, but two, because Derrick Henry hadn't gotten some of the finer points of the position down, particularly blitz pickup packages. So, like that, I would, I would tell anybody that tried to sell me that that they're selling a bad bill of goods, personally. Yes, and the insurance policy is garbage. Uh, this, the shoulder injury was severe, but he's still going to play football, uh, you know, and then, you know, I've heard people are saying they're, they're promising Braxton, uh, if you stay at Ohio State and stay with the program, if you don't make the NFL, you're going to have a six-figure job for the rest of your life. To be perfectly frank, Alabama can do that too, okay? This is the University of Alabama. This is Ohio State. These are two powerhouse programs. This is just, in my opinion, and uh, another prominent friend of this show shares this opinion with me, of Ohio State trying to keep him away from Nick Saban, period, end of story because they know what could happen if they get a rematch. They know Herb's track record and rematches ain't too good. 
and that he's already gone into hiding and therapy once, and that it could happen again if Alabama gets Braxton Miller. That's simply what it comes down to. They're trying to keep him away from Alabama. We'll see. All I'll say on it to end the whole deal is if Braxton Miller ultimately, and obviously he hasn't made a decision to make a move yet, if he goes back to Ohio State to compete at quarterback, because I believe that's what he would do, he's not making a smart business decision. You've got three quarterbacks in one ball. At Alabama, they've got five quarterbacks, two very talented, not ready, three couldn't play dead in the B Western. It's time to make the move to Alabama to give them a chance to win, to play for a great offensive coordinator who can develop you as a player and to play for Nick Saban because Alabama is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And Ohio State can talk about winning one game. As Nick Saban says, it's one game. It doesn't mean it makes your program. Alabama will be back. Alabama will be a great team as early as next year if they don't get Braxton Miller. But Braxton Miller has helped Ohio State rebound from Jim Trestle. Now he can help Nick Saban cement his uh, his place as a true icon in coaching in Mountain Rushmore. It's up to Braxton Miller. The ball's in his court. If he doesn't come to Alabama, he's not very he's not thinking clearly. And uh, Urban Meyer has sold him a bill of goods, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. What's the holdup, Drew? Great question, Gary. Nobody really knows. Uh, obviously, I never thought this decision would be made in March. I never thought it would be made uh, in, in in April. I never thought it would be made in early May. I thought it would be made at mid-May or, or later. I thought it would have been made probably by now. But, again, I don't know what Braxton Miller's thinking, but it's very, very, very interesting that he hasn't said a word and it would be so easy to become a hero, and they would make him a hero again if he comes back and says, I'm not transferring anywhere, I'm a Buckeye for life. Why has Braxton Miller not said that? He could have said it a long time ago. He could have said it today. He could have said it a week ago. He hasn't because something is going on. It's just it's hard to get a beat on exactly what, to be honest. All right, well, Big C is still with us. I'm going to ask him this question before he asks us another question. Big C, based on what Drew just told us about Urban not wanting Nick to get a hold of Braxton Miller, Big C, does that remind you at all about a certain running back from Jasper, Alabama, that Bear Bryant signed so he wouldn't go to Auburn? Yeah. Fellow named Lenny Patrick? Yeah. Sure does, since you bring that up. Yeah. And I, and I can think of maybe three or four games in his four years that he helped us win. One of them was a three fifteen game, which was huge. Uh, one of them was his last year when he played for Perkins. He had a great game against Vanderbilt. And then his true freshman year against Kentucky. Other than those three games, he really didn't do a whole whole, whole lot in his four years at Alabama. He had, you know, a decent career and played briefly for the Michigan team in the, um, in the uh, whatever, USFL. Saw him play at Leading Field one night. But, you know, sometimes coaches will do stuff like that. The Big C, I'm sorry we made you hold so long before that you asked the second question. I know Braxton wasn't the only thing you were wondering about. Well, um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, oh, um, what do y'all think? Some of, do you think the satellite camp thing is uh, – I know the SEC's wanting to try to ban it nationally, but do you think that's going to happen or are they going to be joining the crowd in 2016 doing that? Or all the other Let it roll, doing? Thomas. Let it roll, brother. 
He stepped away. <laughs> Thomas talked about that last right, week. Right, my bad, wait, my wait, fault. No, I, I just got back. What, what's the question? I apologize. BC wants to know uh, what the latest statements uh, that Sankey is putting out about satellite camps and, the, you know, how you feel about the SEC and all that. that it may actually happen if the rest of the country doesn't vote them down. Well, okay, I missed some of Sankey's comments. He said the SEC will start allowing them. If the rest of the country continues to allow them, then starting in 2016, the SEC will indeed allow them. The SEC is going to follow the rest of the nation's lead on this and not continue to penalize its institutions if the rest of America is getting to do it, which I think is only fair, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Thomas. Well, if that's the case, let's use Avery Johnson's phrase, buckle up, because I stand by what I said last week. I think it's going to blow up in the other institutions' faces because only in the Southeastern Conference and only amongst the true blue blood programs in the Southeastern Conference do you have a combination of extreme, I mean millions in revenue, a desire to spend those millions in revenue to get even a micrometer of advantage over the competition. And you, so you have this two, you, and just that, that, that combination. You have the money, the willingness to spend the money, and almost the insane impetus from the fan base to spend the money, which is a deadly witch's brew. What programs, what, let, let's, just, let's think about it just pure dollars and cents. What programs are going to have that not in the SEC? Texas? Texas, I think you can – they'll throw the money at it, but that's because Texas can throw money at anything. Ohio State? Maybe. I don't know. If you're starting to throw $10 million at a football program extra on top of what you are, that gets kind of squeamish. Michigan? Doing that will destroy Michigan. a lot of Michigan's – grandstanding about being a top academic institution, which Michigan is. The University of Michigan is a fantastic academic institution. But you can't grandstand about that and then throw all this extra money at football satellite camps. So it's great right now for the Big Ten, and I do think that the SEC will not have as big a benefit of satellite camps. But, you know, a level playing field is only level if everyone's limited to spending the same amount of money. And there is no way they can cap satellite camps. It'd be like trying to cap a recruiting budget. It's just impossible. So that's what you're going to see. You're going to see maybe the four or five top SEC programs. Let's, Let's just name them. Alabama, because it's Nick Saban. Auburn will potentially throw enough money at it. Georgia can. Texas A&M can. LSU will because LSU has to keep up. And then who you got? Who else is going to do it? Tennessee, maybe, but they've got a lot of fat facility updates. They're going to eat a lot of their budget. Florida's in the same. Florida might be the best, uh, best athletic department in the country, but they've got facility problems that they have to rectify. And that's what you're going to see. You're not going to be able to build a new weight room and have these satellite camps. It's going to end for the SEC, too. But the point at which it ends for the SEC is a whole hell of a lot further than anyone else. That's that's all I'm going to say about satellite camps. It is going to blow up in everyone's face. I'll add just one thing to what Thomas said. Ole Miss could decide to enter the fray, but it has to take money away from the uh, budget they have for paying players to come there. So, <laughs> uh, 
Big C, you got anything else for us? All right, what about this cost of, on this thing they're talking about, cost of, um, it's on the saddle, it's on the scholarship, it's cost of living, or what is cost the thing? Of cost of I'd attendance. I'd love to hear Thomas Watts' take on cost of attendance. Yeah, it's another Auburn spin job. Can't wait to hear Thomas talk about this. Oh, the cost, oh yeah. Well, you know, living in Auburn, Alabama is certainly more expensive than living in, you know. Southern California, Southern right, Southern Thomas? California. I mean, it, here, here's a little fun statistic to see. When UCLA had a coaching staff change and Jim Mora came in, the coaches could not afford to live close to campus because of where UCLA is. So you would think, based off that, the cost of attendance of attending a UCLA or a USC or, you know, you really want to go way, way out there, something like Stanford, some of the highest property value, property prices in the in the country, that mm-hmm. would be higher than Auburn, but it's really not. The problem with cost of attendance stipends is there's no metric to calculate them. Like th- that that's that's really the thing. Auburn can factor in the fact that in order to get somewhere to actually have fun, that does not involve a bovine and placing things where they shouldn't be placed on said bovine is going to Atlanta, and that's gas money. Is that, a, is that really cost of attendance? No, but you can add that to your metric. Whereas Tuscaloosa, there's stuff to do in Tuscaloosa. It's not as crazy as Birmingham, but there's stuff to do. So like that, that's, that's the real problem with it. And the different – this is going to be a microcosm of the same problem I mentioned with the satellite camps. Alabama can eat paying their players $10,000 a year. It doesn't matter. But once Alabama does it, everyone else is going to have to do it. And then you're going to really, really, really piss off everybody that is not making a profit already for, the, for their athletic department because in order to compete, they're going to have to pay near that. And one of the not very well-kept secrets about academic bud, excuse me, athletic budgeting is the teams that Alabama invites in, the Western Carolinas of the world, to get their butts kicked every year, they get paid, and those checks generally support more than just the football program. Well, now the football program will eat up a little more of that money. So where's the windfall going to be made up? You're going to cut sports for football? So you, you have this situation where one of two things will happen. It will, be, it will just it make it a more extreme case of the haves versus the have-nots. And when I say that, I mean – the guys with a lot of money versus the athletic departments that don't have a lot of money, or the ones that can really afford it, the power five, you could see a legitimate breakaway in self-governance because it's just impossible at that point to justify Western Carolina playing in the same level as Alabama. Because if, if a Western – if, let's, let's, let, let's play this scenario out. Let's say as a sophomore, Western Carolina wide receiver has a crazy season. He catches – 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Okay, I want to travel. I want to transfer to Alabama where they'll pay me 10 grand a year on top of my full scholarship, and Alabama is interested. What can Western Carolina legitimately do? Nothing. Nothing. So, so you're, you, what you'll see is the lower programs will become farm schools, fa- farming systems for the big schools, and the big schools will be farm systems for the NFL which they kind of already are, but there's, there's enough money being changed where you can just kind of sweep that under the rug. But it's, 
that's another one of those things where I don't think it's sustainable. And if we go down this path, the amateurism, the the faux student athlete amateurism that the NCAA is so frantically clinging to, every <laughs> step down this path kills it, kills it a little faster and a little harder. Let me ask you this, and I will tell you something if I can still talk with you uh, for a minute more. Like in Coach Bryant's book, The Bear, which was my, written 40 years ago, I like what he said. He said, you know, the, he said that student-athlete thing is what they did to make it palatable for the academians, but he even said back then at the level we play, the athletes first and students second. You know, you... And with somebody like Joab Thomas, if he's still living, he'd be well. He's probably rolling over in his grave if he heard that statement. But to be honest with you, that's true. Well, while that might be true in reality, the cornerstone of the NCAA amateurism thing has been since it's been coined that they are students first and athletes second. By mm-hmm. going to cost of living and spiraling out of control, uh, you know you want to have an interesting parallel. Look at something like baseball that has an uncapped contract revenue stream. The teams Mm -hmm. that can pay more, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cardinals to a certain extent, the Angels who just unloaded a ton of salary. But anyway, those big market teams are able to pay more. So generally, unless you have a fantastic farm system, they're better teams. Is that what you want in college football? Because that's the kind of thing that can happen. What do you think they're going to do about it? Do you think they might set a thing like $3,000 a year across the board, or you think they're going to try to do that, or what do you think? I think they're going to have to try to do that if the NCAA believes that they'll be able to keep their amateurism thing for much more than the next five to ten years. and Or they're going to have to, more than just setting you can only pay three grand, it's everybody has to agree on a metric, and it has to be full disclosure. And I don't know if teams will be willing to do that. There's so many pitfalls here, and there's so many ways that you can kind of tweak the system that you really almost need to have a third-party independent, like, mathematician almost come up with a metric because, you know, when when you ask a group with a vested interest to cook the books, they are probably going to do that. And that's that's just my cynical point of view. But I don't think 3000 like a flat rate, is going to be good. I think they have to come up with an agreed-upon metric that everybody has and then is willing to disclose based off, you know, why did you give them this much money? Because based off our our metrics in the area, that's how much we deserved. Then you pretty much short-circuit any sort of issues that, you, that could be brought up because – Auburn pay well not Auburn but you know Auburn can only pay their guys fifteen hundred dollars a year for cost of living, whereas Stanford can pay them you know ten grand because that's rent in California. That's the only way you're going to get it to be truly equitable. Mm-hmm. Can I get the some bitch that followed that the, the, the some that came up with Auburn's cost of attendance to please do my taxes? Yeah, I would love to see how they figured that out. J O K E. Well, all right, explain to me what they did. What was the figure they came up in Auburn again? Because I'm not familiar with what that was. I'm, try, I'm going to try and find it. I think it's, it's, up, it's up there like the highest in the, uh, in the SEC. Well, it was the highest in the SEC. 
Yeah, they they have you to believe that it's cheaper to live in in Nashville than it is Auburn. <laughs> really? Jay Jacobs was on a radio show tonight claiming people out of teams are afraid to play Auburn. And my retort to the person that sent me the text was, I guess Southern Cal, West Virginia, and Clemson are all scared. I'd be afraid to play Auburn. They chop block. Get my guy in first week, give me a break. <laughs> and yet, yes, looking at the thing that was published, Auburn's the top estimated change in scholarship value is it's going to go up six grand, basically. That that's the full cost of attendance. It goes up from twenty three right now to thirty full cost of attendance, which to, just to give you some 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 other schools like the schools I mentioned, you know Clemson's going up three grand, which you know Clemson's in an interesting spot, but Georgia Tech, you know that lives in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia Tech's only going up seventeen hundred, USC fifteen hundred from sixty five to sixty seven, so. Right. I'm gonna say one more thing on this, and I can I have a I have a radio show on 97 Zone. Everyone knows that, but this is an Alabama show. All I'll say about Jay Jacobs is he needs to go back and clean Pat Dye's toilet and be quiet. Next. He didn't say this time. That's I like that comment there. All I'll say about that. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know what else right tonight. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. Um, hey, uh, uh, can I ask you this, Kenny? When do I need to give you? When do we need to get together tomorrow morning? Or do you want me to contact you uh, later? Seven forty-five. Okay, seven forty-five. We'll do it. All right, I'll be talking to you then. Huh? Seven forty. Okay, seven forty. I'll do it. All right. All right, BC. Thank y'all. Enjoyed it. Talking to y'all guys. Talk to y'all next week. Yes, roll tight, BC. Roll tight. That's a good one. So anyway, uh, as Drew was mentioning, uh, when he came on the air, air tonight, uh, things did not go very swimmingly for the Alabama softball team out of Oklahoma City. I'll just read you the first paragraph of the release from the University of Alabama regarding tonight's softball game. Alabama was defeated by the Michigan Wolverines by a final score of 5-0 in the opening round of the 2015 Women's College World Series on Thursday night at ASA Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City. Michigan starter Megan Betza worked seven scores innings, holding the title just four hits. Her record now 31-4. Tonight's loss, Alabama's first in the opening round of the World Series since falling to Michigan 6-1 in 2009. Moves the Tide's season record this year to 47-14. and 14. The victory lifts number three seed Michigan to 57-6. Alabama will play at 1.30 Central on Saturday afternoon in an elimination game against the loser of the current UCLA-Oregon game. I'm away from the TV. I have no idea who's winning that game. But Alabama will play the loser of that game. And I know, Drew, you did not get a chance to see it. I can tell you this. Uh, it was a good night to be at a booster club meeting and not in front of the TV watching softball. Uh, it was painful at times. Uh, frankly, I felt that Murphy should have pulled the Sorio in around the fifth inning or so after they got up 5 nothing, when it was evident there was not going to be a comeback and just rest her for the muscle win Saturday. But he did not choose to do that. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, Alabama and Auburn are both in the loser's bracket. We have an update. 
two yeah. to nothing UCLA. Okay, so you know the game ends like that. I'll be able to play Oregon. Frankly, uh, if I have a choice, I'd rather play Oregon Saturday. Well, I, I did actually get to see some of it after the meeting. Um, met with some friends and and uh, hooked up after the meeting and uh, for a little bit and. I did get a chance to watch some of it. Didn't swing the bats very well. Uh, but Alexia, I will say this for her, she didn't pitch that badly. She made two bad pitches. It kind of reminded me of a Kelsey Dunn pitch game when she's lost in the past in the postseason. You know, can't keep the ball in the park. But, again, Alabama's got to score some runs. Uh, they didn't cash in any, got shut out. But I'll say this about Michigan. Carol Hutchins is one of the best coaches in America. They're 3-0 and against Alabama. I'll call it. You have to call it like you see it. They're better than Alabama this year. It's, this year uh, they are. Oh, they are. They're very, very good. And everybody knew it was going to be a tough matchup. And, and, yeah, Alabama plays in a tougher conference, but still. Uh, 3-0 yeah. against them speaks volumes. And, and really, Alabama's fourth hit, uh, I did not see this because it showed up. Hawkins. Up. It, was it was a pinch hit, yes. A pinch hit by the Hawk, and I, I've got it on DVR. Yeah. I guess I'll go back and just watch that one hit. Um, well, the leader passed the pitcher. Oh, didn't he leave the infield? No. Okay. Well, anyway, four hits on the night, you know, no runs. Uh, you know, leaving Osorio in the full sixth inning I thought was silly after she threw 365 pitches one third day of the year last weekend. Uh, but, hey, it is what it is. Uh, Alexis will have, you know, two days to recover. And I'm quite confident she'll pitch a great game Saturday. Uh, I don't think Alabama will go to, uh, two and out. Uh, well, I'll say, I'll say this, Kerry. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but okay. I don't think there's any doubt, though, that I think Alexia will pitch the elimination game. But if they're fortunate to advance, I'm not sure she'll pitch the second game. I wouldn't be surprised if he at least started either Jury or Little John. Probably Little John. Probably Little would, John. She's would be my guess. Yeah. Jury's become kind of an afterthought now. Uh, well, she's been hurt too. So, from what I understand, a little bit nicked up. So. Okay. Well, that's fine. I didn't, didn't realize that. But uh, anyway, hopefully they can bounce back. Uh, Auburn also lost today. Their first ever College World Series game was a 6-1 defeat to LSU, which has been out there before. And now, uh, and I guess uh, a no-lose situation for Alabama fans, at 11.30 Saturday morning, Auburn plays Tennessee and the loser goes home. Uh, the hope here is that No balls. Yeah. For that one day, yes. So, uh, or that one game. So, that's where things stand in, in softball. And, and I agree with you, uh, with Drew. Uh, I think Lexi Osorio pitches game one, and hopefully there is another game. Uh, so, hey, that's where we are. Uh, I think we covered baseball as much as it needed to be covered last week. So, uh, well, Drew, uh, just wanted to see if you had any tidbits that you might like to share. Uh, I'll tell you what I share at hour number one. Uh, yeah. We don't we don't talk much about what we hear at Relevant Beats, but I don't think anybody would care if I told, and I'll reiterate this for anybody that just joined us, that Lane Kiffin was asked Monday night who on defense that was flying under the radar, in his opinion, and the two guys he mentioned were Rashawn Evans and Marlon Humphrey, uh, both of which, for different reasons, kind of warmed my heart. Uh, and I know, Drew, you had a chance tonight to hear um, Mel Tucker, and i uh, just curious to know if there's anything you'd like to share that, that you think will be okay to share. Well, I, I, I thought he was very impressive. Uh, he went into a lot of his history of how, and a lot of it I was already aware of, but some of it I was not. And it shows how good of how Nick Saban, when you talk about 
organization and covering all bases and and uh, always having all your options open to you shows how why he's the coach he is because Mel Tucker has known Nick Saban since he was 17 years old. And that's what was very interesting because I knew about Coach Saban giving him his first job at Michigan State, but here's where the connection started. Mel Tucker is sitting at his house uh, as a senior in high school, Cleveland Heights High School from Cleveland, Ohio, and his phone rings. And he answers it, and he says, what are you doing, brother? And it's Nick Saban. Nick Saban had just taken the job at Toledo. And he tells Mel Tucker, well, Mel, I know you're one of the best seniors in the state of Ohio. I'd like to recruit you to play for me at Toledo. Your father played at Toledo, which I didn't know that. And uh, we would like you to follow in his footsteps. And he was flattered and, of course, was recruited by Coach Saban, but eventually signed with Barry Alvarez in, in uh, Wisconsin and uh, and had a very good career, solid. But Nick Saban made such an impression on his dad that his dad would send Coach Saban notes. And I think his nickname was Rock. He would send him, he said, Rock's playing. He played in two games as a freshman. He's got a future at Wisconsin. And Saban would always, always answer him. And, of course, this is not in the days of cell phones and Twitter and all that mess. He would send him letters in the mail and say, keep in touch. I'm glad your son's playing well. I've been monitoring his career. And he plays, he has a career at Wisconsin, gets done in 1995. He was in Barry Alvarez's first recruiting class. He helped turn around their program. He's working as a volunteer. He's working in, back in his hometown, volunteering as a basketball and football coach at his high school. He meets his wife, who's going to law school. She's home. She's uh, actually in law school at Rutgers. And then he finally, she finally tells him, you know, I'm in law school. I'm almost ready to graduate, but we're living with your parents. You know, what are you going to do for a living? And Mel tells her, says, well, I think I can coach. I know I'm good enough to coach basketball and, and, and football for a living. Maybe I ought to try to do the college thing. And she goes, well, really, how are you going to do it? What happens? His father calls Nick Saban and says, Coach Saban, by this time, Coach Saban is at Michigan State. And he says, Coach Saban, my son wants to get into coaching. Coach Saban, you're hired. And he brings him in. They, they drive to East Lansing. They sit down in his office. He goes over the process, what he wants him to do. And for two years, he made $400 a month coaching for Nick Saban. But he worked his way up as a GA, and then he ends up, when uh, when that's done, Coach Saban wins 10 games uh, at uh, Michigan State and goes to LSU. But before he left, he hooked Mel Tucker up with a job at Miami of Ohio, basically got him the job. And that, that uh, during that year he was at Miami of Ohio is when Coach Saban left to go to LSU. And Mel said he was sitting in a hotel, and uh, he said he sees it go across the screen that Nick Saban is the new head football coach at Michigan, or excuse me, at LSU, and is leaving Michigan State. He finds out from Bobby Williams, who he you know he worked under as a GA, that the whole staff is pretty much staying at Michigan State, and Bobby Williams is the head coach. Well, he he rightly thinks, well, Nick Saban needs a staff at LSU. And his wife, he and his wife had become very good friends with Terry Saban. And he said, this doesn't leave here, but it's a funny story anyway. He said they call Terry and say, Miss Terry, this is Mel Tucker. I know you know me. Uh, I know you, the Coach Saban needs a staff. 
I would like to be the defensive backs coach. And she says, good to hear from you, honey. Yeah, I, I, you know, you did a great job for us. I'll let him know. Two weeks later, he's got the job at LSU, and the rest is history. That's a pretty cool story. You know, it was interesting that you said uh, when he answered the phone, he said, hello, brother, because if anybody saw the movie um, on the big screen, Nick Saban Game Changers, it featured me like five times. But, but one of the things that came out of the movie, though, was uh, that his nickname in West Virginia was Brother. Uh, much like our pal Bill Oliver was called Brother when he coached Alabama. But uh, Nick Saban's nickname was indeed Brother in West Virginia. So, uh, but getting back to the current, uh, Drew, I understand you also might want to share a tidbit about Alabama safety Marty Smith. Well, yeah, I mean, what and what it, it was it was it was neat because what Mel Tucker discussed is he's had he's worked for a lot of great coaches, Kerry. I mean, he he worked for Nick Saban first, and that's that's uh, quite a, a someone a Hall of Fame coach to cut your teeth under. But after he left LSU, he told to finish the rest of the story. He uh, he was hired. The, the, the connection to Ohio State was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State uh, under Jim Tressel was Mark D'Antonio, and Mark D'Antonio called uh, Mel Tucker to offer him a job on the Ohio State staff, and he said he had long discussions with Coach Saban before leaving Michigan, before leaving, excuse me, LSU, and because that wasn't set in stone. He liked what he was doing at LSU. His one year there, they had turned the program around. We all know how good LSU's program ended up being. But Mel is from Ohio, and so he decided to make the move under Coach D'Antonio. He stayed there four years. His second year, they won the national championship. When he left, he was co-defensive coordinator. And then he became one of the youngest defensive coordinators in the NFL. And But what the neat thing was, he talked about these are the – he learned all this, the, his coaching philosophy from Nick Saban and Jim, mostly in Jim Trestle. And two of those guys are, without a doubt, Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, he's worked for some great people. And he said basically his mantra, his five, uh, his five uh, tools in coaching and the five things he lives by are passion, because you've got to have passion for what you do. You've got to love getting up at 445 in the morning and the challenge of working and teaching and coaching. you got to have accountability to do your job every day and to do it right. And you got to have organizations. you got to be organized. He said that the way he knew he was going to make it in coaching was if Nick Saban puts you on the field as a GA to, to help coach on the field now, he knows you're about to get a job. And he, when he did that one day in a staff meeting at Michigan State, he was really excited, and he said as he was leaving the room after Coach Saban says, you know, told everybody, we're going to put Mel on the field with us today, he was so excited, but Bobby Williams patted him on the shoulder and said, meet me in your office, and he went to his office, and then he said, he didn't say this in so many words, but he basically said, don't screw this up. In other words, you get, you, you got your opportunity now. You've got to be organized, and that's the next thing he talked about. You got to have organization and be ready to do and have, be prepared for anything. And then he said, but the biggest thing about uh, you also have to have is leadership from yourself and the players that you coach. He said, if you're a leader as a coach, he talked about uh, relating to NFL players. He said, it's, NFL and college players aren't that different. He said, they signed Jared Allen to a two year, $14 million deal with the Bears last year. Jared Allen comes into the staff meeting. Mel Tucker's the defensive coordinator, and he's like, 
Coach, how are you going to use me? You have to be able to communicate with your players and sell them and know what you're doing. If you can, if you have leadership and organization and you can tell them how you're going to use them, even if they don't, may not agree with everything, they know that you know what you're talking about and they trust you. But, and then he talked about the biggest thing is integrity. He said, Coach Saban is, he said, that's the biggest thing about working for Alabama and working for him at Michigan State and LSU because of the integrity of how he does things. And he does everything the right way. And, you know, it, it just was very telling. And then he talked about the players. He said they did a lot of cross-training in the spring. Uh, they, they, I talked about Maurice Smith. They, they worked him at the star. They worked him at free safety. They also worked Tony Brown at the star. They worked Jabril Washington. They worked several guys. They wanted to cross-train three or four guys and Eddie Jackson, and it does sound like Eddie is going to stay at safety. He said there isn't a chance he could move back, but he said Eddie's a team guy, and he really took to it the last four to five, three to four or five practices of the spring in the last part of spring and going to free safety. And then, of course, he talked about they've got four seniors. They've got Cyrus Jones, Bradley Sill, Jabril Washington, and obviously – uh, and then uh, the name escapes me, but uh, they've got one more senior back there uh, uh, that, that, that is going to play some. Oh, Geno Smith, pardon me. But Geno Smith, and we know he'll be suspended some, but they didn't really talk about that. But he's got four guys that are leaders, and they've cross-trained a lot of guys. He's high on their talent level. He thinks they got a lot done. And I'll tell you this, he's very, very high on Ronnie Harrison. He said basically as soon as he saw Ronnie Harrison for the first time, He's like, he's better than, and looks better and moves better and is better than some of the guys I had in Chicago. He said, roll tide. He said he couldn't believe the kid was a true freshman who had been in high school just two to three weeks earlier. He said he had a great spring for a young kid. Most of these young kids fall way off. He said he never really had that, acc- that period during his acclimation. Uh, and, then, and, they're, and they're training him at two spots already. They're training him, obviously, uh, at the safety spot, but they're also training him in dime. And uh, so far, so good. He's very high on Ronnie. He thinks he's going to do a great job. And the one last guy I'll talk about that he's very high on is somebody Kerry's already talked about that Lane Kiffin mentioned, and that's Marlon Humphrey. He said when he lit the guy up on the, on the, on the, uh, on the quick hitter, and the, and the, I believe it was a screen early in the A-Day game, on, he just said he basically just was fired up. He said that right there is an SEC football player. He said he did it the rest of the game and made a lot of strides in the spring. And he just thinks right now he needs to be more consistent, but he really is really high on Marlon Humphrey and his potential. All right. And then I'll just throw in this tidbit from Lane. Uh, two other guys that need to be more consistent on the offensive side of the ball are, are Darius Stewart and Ron Foster. I don't think that's any great secret, but that's what they're looking for. Uh, Drew, I'm going to give you a chance to catch your breath because I have already asked Thomas to comment on this, and this is as good a time as any. Uh, we're not going to be able to get Tom Canterbury on tonight due to logistics. We will have him next week to recap the softball season. I'm going to recap a poster that the athletic department has put out this week, and it's going to bring pride to former athletic and football tutor Thomas Watts of BAMS Radio. The uh, picture says best in the SEC, 1,000 APR score. And in the fine print, and this is for the school year of 13 to 14, the academic progress rate, which is uh, APR, 
holds institutions accountable for the academic progress of their student athletes through a team-based metric that accounts for eligibility and retention of each student athlete for each academic term. The APR system uh, includes rewards for superior academic performance and penalties for teams that do not achieve certain academic benchmarks. Data are collected annually and results are announced in the spring. Thomas, talk about what the Alabama football team just achieved. Well, th- what they achieved is uh, uh, an A plus in terms of the academic side of the student athlete, the student side of student athlete. Obviously, when you're a football player or when you're even you're any athlete, you're going to have to devote a lot of time to your sport, whether it's track and field or football. It's it's not just show up and practice once a day whether it it's also your workouts your 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 off-season program the fourth quarter program that's so ballyhooed all of that stuff takes time and what the APR rating means is nobody fell off the wagon you know nobody just mailed it in and fell flat on their face this semester which is a credit not only to the apparatus that I was a part of a few years ago, but to the students themselves, uh, as most people on the show know, I am currently a graduate student at the University of South Alabama. I am doing research for clandestine intelligence. It eats my life. I cannot imagine having to go on top of what I'm doing being a student athlete. And... I, I, I can't say enough coming from an academic background, having been in the system at the University of Alabama, understanding a large portion of the system at the University of South Alabama, because a lot of the South Alabama football players go through basic engineering, and because I'm in that building so much, I run into a lot of them. But, you know, understanding all that, that, you know, as big as national championships are to the fan base, as I have an extreme value on education. That's worth a national championship to me personally. I realize that's kind of, that sounds weird, but that's just my personal thing. And who, in your opinion, should get the most credit as far as the tutorial staff? Oh man, I don't know. I don't even know who's doing, who's on the tutorial staff anymore. It's just, in a lot of cases, it's the one-on-one tutors. I can say now that the athletes that I worked with are out of school, and I only worked with them in one class. My roommate, who was a Ph.D. student, he taught multiple students multiple subjects. I would, you know, this is me biased me speaking, but I would say it's the frontline guys because the guy, the tutors that are teaching multiple classes and multiple things. That you get to know the student, and obviously being an athlete at a university, you're a star, but that's also its own kind of adversity. And on a student-to-student level, it's pretty easy to relate. And that I think that is an underappreciated portion of any athletic program. Again, I realize I'm biased because I was that guy, but, you know, your frontline tutors do a lot more for the program than you realize. Well, I'll just throw out one name, and I'm sure you have a lot to do with it. 
because he's been around the academic program a long time uh, as an advisor, and I'll throw out the name of Lance Walker. I'm sure he played a good role. I worked with Lance the semester that I he, – he was a nice guy. I mean, he, he's a hard-charging guy, but he was – every session that the freshman that I tutored, the, every tutoring session after class, Lance was there with the with the what is it the SAS staff the Student Athletic Support Services I think whatever whatever the acronym is he was there and if he wasn't there one of his lieutenants was there making sure everybody got their stuff done. There you go. All right. Well, anyway, congratulations to the Alabama football team and the entire athletic department. Uh, everybody really pulled their weight on this deal. Uh, so great job on the APR scores, all of you ladies and gentlemen who are current student athletes at the U of A. Uh, roll tide because it's not just about what you do on the field. Uh, you're making uh, lifetime strides for what you do in the classroom. All right, let me go ahead and bring Drew back in since we have about eight minutes to go on the show. Drew, uh, when he was interviewed down in Destin at the annual SEC meeting this week, Coach Avery Johnson told the members of the media who he was speaking with that he planned to announce an addition to the roster next week. A lot of speculation about that, that it might just be his son, Avery Johnson, Jr., but uh, as far as that goes, could it possibly be Kobe Eubanks or somebody else, or is we just going to assume he's going to announce that his son's transferring, which we already know? Well, you know, I'm not necessarily sure it's Avery Johnson, Jr., I wouldn't be surprised if it's Kobe Eubanks because it fits in the time frame. And I know they were. there's been talk of them waiting for some other schools to maybe get involved again. But I think you have to just go into common sense. He had a really good visit to Alabama. Uh, he fits. He's a need for what they want. I would not be shocked if it was Kobe Eubanks. As far as the assistant coach, I know I was, I've talked about Roy Rogers for a long time. The, you know, the Wizards have been out of the playoffs. Uh, That's a there's been there, there there could have been ongoing negotiations, but I'm starting to feel more and more since they they lost last night, just last night now, and that he and he they they, you know Avery said that Bill Badlin and himself would sit down with a a candidate very soon. Your common sense tells you it could be T.R. Dunn. I mean, Theodore Roosevelt Dunn has been an assistant coach before Alabama. Yeah, he was one of the greatest players, mm-hmm. one of the greatest defensive coaches and players. In the 2002, oh, yes, the last 2002. SEC championship at Alabama. Uh, he, uh, he did not recruit, but as I told someone, uh, he it, that, that's not a huge deal because Bob Simon, Petway, and Avery can recruit. Uh, TR is an excellent um, defensive teacher, and he will be able to sell to kids. He may not recruit off campus, but when you meet TR Dunn, and you know what kind of player he was at Alabama. These kids may not know that, but they will find out. But the biggest thing is how long he played in the NBA and how long he's coached in the NBA. And I think that'll be a big time uh, selling point. No, if he wants to come, you got to bring him in. I think that's yeah. a great idea. Drew, uh, we got less than five minutes to go in the show, but uh, we have a longtime friend of the show on hold who we haven't heard from since New Year's Eve. So uh, I guess five months later. The pride of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, Stephen M. Smith, uh, spawned of Marion, Alabama, is with us. Stephen M., what's going on, buddy? Where you been? Oh, man, it, it, it's been too long, guys. It's been way too long. Grinding, graduation, 
just got my degree from the University of Alabama. It's been a great four years. But what I want to talk about is I want to get you guys' take on Blake Sims, though he did not get drafted, he was not signed to an NFL team. He does get signed to the Canadian Football League with the Toronto Organized, and it's a three-year deal. But, but do you see him really getting some playing time in the Canadian League? I think that league is perfect for him, Stephen, with the wider field and the three downs on offense. Uh, I think he was tailor-made to play in that league. I'm sorry that he got cut by two NFL teams, but I think he has made a great career decision. I understand they have a starter at Toronto. I can't call his name, but I, I hear that he's an aging guy and that they actually see Blake as potentially their future. I, I think it's an absolutely wonderful decision. Uh, we touched on it briefly last week that we thought it would be a good idea, but uh, Drew, I think you'll agree with me on that. No doubt. Uh, just remember shorter QBs, Doug Flutie being the most or best example of that, um, going to the Canadian Football League and being able to play. In, uh, and, well, and I'll, I'll bring another one up from years past, but Conridge Holloway at Tennessee, who had a long career in the CFL. Uh, Blake Sims can play in that league. It's a, long, a wider field, wider end zone. Uh, they they need the, the height is not as big a deal. It's a different brand of football, more wide open. Uh, I think Blake need, is still raw, and I think it would be good for him to sit behind a veteran and learn. We all saw what he what how he took he he bided his time behind AJ McCarron and then worked for his opportunity. I agree with Kerry. I just want to see the guy succeed. I'm not surprised that he didn't transition to the NFL, but the CFL or arena football, but really the CFL. I agree with Kerry 110%. I think it's a perfect fit for Blake. I know he's disappointed because it doesn't look like he's going to go to an NFL training camp. But, again, he, he, he proved everyone wrong last year. There's been a lot of guys transition from the CFL to the NFL. Do I think Blake Sims ultimately will? Probably not. But he can have a long career in the CFL if he gets with the right organization and the right people that are patient with him and gives him an opportunity. Because, personally, I don't think Blake Sims is a running back. I think he's a quarterback. He's been a quarterback from Pee Wee on up. It's what he does, and I'm glad that he's going to get the opportunity with the Toronto Argonauts in the CFL. And Ricky Ray is their current quarterback, according to Thomas's quick research. He is 35 years old, so Blake has the chance to go in there and develop. Stephen, congratulations on your uh, graduation from the U of A. Yes, well done, brother. What are your current plans, Stephen? Say it again. Your current hey, plans after graduation, Stephen? What are you What are you uh, planning on transitioning into as far as your career? Transition. Uh, I will be working for Tuscaloosa News, covering uh, high school football, and along with other Alabama sports, starting in August. I'll be covering the entire uh, Tuscaloosa, Trustville, Birmingham area. So I'm working with Tuscaloosa News on next week. Nice, nice job. Congratulations, bro. Congrats, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate you guys, man. It, it's been too long. I decided tonight would be the night that I reunite with the love with the lovely Bams Radio. No, no, no doubt, Stephen M. Man, we appreciate it. And again, man, now a Bama official, Bama grad, and uh, going to be working for the T News, covering high school football. It's the the most the, the it's the purest form of the sport. I love covering it. I'll be covering some this fall, and look forward to seeing you on the road. Yep, I'm oh, looking forward to Stephen. Uh, 
Matter of fact, Stephen, if you get a chance, try to let them uh, let, let them get you to cover the uh, game when ACA goes down to Gordo. We'll do a Ben Davis down together. The music has started. Uh, the show is going to have to end now. Uh, for Drew the Almond of ESPN 977 The Zone in Huntsville for Tony of the Magazine. I'm Terry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com and Bama Magazine. Thank you for listening to BAM's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family and Roll Tide. Roll Tide.